Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, game dayers. This is Sam Matterface with the Game Day Premier League Preview Podcast. Footballing royalty meet in North London as Tottenham clash with Liverpool live on game day at 5.30. But just like the Queen, Jose is going to have to find a way forward without Prince Harry. No Kane, more pain for Spurs. Hmm. Also this week, Mikel Arteta takes Arsenal to the Palace and the Royal Blues of Chelsea take on Burnley, hoping to buck the trend of nailing it on the road but being pretty unreliable at home. It's already been a tough week for Prince William and though City's crown may have slipped, a depleted Aston Villa should be no match for them. Foxes, Saints, Wolves, Tomb, Blades, Hammers, Cherries, Hornets and Toffees, Seagulls. Sounds like a menu in the Heston Blumenthal restaurant. Uh, they make up the regal spread of games along with Manchester United against Norwich. All on the Game Day Premier League preview from TalkSport. This is Game Day Premier League Preview Show. No princes in our pod this week, just paupers. David Connolly, hello, how are you? Uh, well, I could be King David as well. You could be. I mean, I you did be. have ice-cold blue blood in your veins in front of goal, though, so there's a little bit of uh, something special about That's you. That's true. I'll take that as a backhanded sort of compliment, in a way. And we've also got Tom Rennie here as well. Am I the, the pauper in this scenario? Is that what you're saying? Hey, we're all paupers here. Uh, are you both ready for the t- return of the Premier League? Because it, it just feels like it's had a little bit of a break when relentlessly the games were hurtling at us from all angles. All of a sudden, we've had the FA Cup, we've had the Carabao Cup semi-finals. Now we're back to the thick of it. I'm happy to be watching games this weekend featuring the best 11s that clubs can put together as opposed to discussing the youth team, the second team and the, the various brilliances of 16 and 18-year-olds. I don't care. I don't watch youth team football. I want the good stuff. Bring it to me. Talking of the good stuff, let's get to the titans of the touchline. They meet at Tottenham as game day finishes with a flurry. One of the two, it is going to be Christian Eriksen. Right into the top right-hand corner. Allowing Robertson in round the back, cross towards Mo Salah. Three and a half minutes in and Liverpool take the lead. It's a slip by Bulldog which allowed Robertson in. It is indeed a penalty. No real surprise there. Harry Kane, 200 Premier League appearances now, spots the ball. Faced four penalties already this season. He saved three of them, Tim Krull. Can he keep another one out? No, he can't. Harry Kane steers it in. It's 2-2. 
Okay, folks, Liverpool are officially Tottenham's bogey team, aren't they? One win in 15 meetings between the two, and they have to take them on without Harry Kane. How are they going to handle this? I mean, he's third in the Premier League for numbers of chances created for teammates. He scores goals galore. He's scoring well above his XG, uh, so more than he should. David Conley, what do you do here if you're Jose Mourinho and you know that you're not going to have Harry Kane for a little while, apart from go out and sign somebody else? <clears throat> yeah, well, th- that's a question, I guess, would they? I don't think they would. Um, obviously, they got Son to come in, who I imagine will just slot straight into his position. If you look at the Southampton game where I was at, I was at St Mary's and um, when Kane went off, they basically had no forward. They played without a centre-forward, a bit like Man City have done um, in the cup with a false nine. They didn't didn't really have anyone, had no threat in behind. They really need Son back, obviously, which he is. Um, But I just wonder whether he'll copy what United did against Liverpool. I know that 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 would suit Mourinho in terms of parking a bus, a back three. He's played that a few times, hasn't he? He played a back three against Middlesbrough in the cup. They weren't particularly great, were they? played a back three against Norwich. They weren't particularly good then either. Um, So... I don't know, will he play the three or will he stick with this back four that he played against Southampton, which were awful. I mean, their performance there was absolutely dire. Eric died. They were awful. They really were. Yeah, defensively, they've had issues for ages, though. They were they were pretty bad against uh, Brighton when they played a three and then went to a four. They were pretty terrible against Norwich when they did the same thing. Um, you mentioned the Southampton performance, um, but ultimately, going forward, they've got to reconfigure because of Kane. And, mm. um, you mentioned the importance of Son and he's probably going to slot back in. His pace is going to be key here as well, isn't it? Because that's the one thing that might end up troubling Liverpool. Yeah, luckily enough for Liverpool, they have Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andrew Robertson and, and players who can get on the cover should whomever is partnering Virgil van Dijk be out of position, which is a rarity. I think Lovren might be back for this one. It may well be him. It may well be Matip. It uh, may well be Gomez. They all seem like they should be fit for them this one this weekend. But I think that the major issue with Tottenham is that it goes back to when Chelsea originally signed Alvaro Morata and there was a discussion um, in a pre-season press conference with Pochettino who was saying that, uh, to paraphrase... We didn't sign Morata because Morata wouldn't come here because he would be behind Harry Kane. And every year, Harry Kane misses, I mean, you'll know this well, he misses November to January pretty much every year and there's but, no replacement but that, for but him that again. that whole strategy is flawed, isn't it? Because it ultimately is. that's just saying, I'm not a very good man-manager, I can't juggle two big personalities. Harry Kane has to, if he wants to be the very best, be able to deal with a little bit of competition yeah. every now and again. You can't just bow to the, the needs of some guy who does score quite a lot of goals, but ultimately then leaves you light if you can't have a, a another striker to cover him. And somebody else who's coming has to have the hunger and desire to see if they can push Harry yeah. Kane. And it may well be that over time, Jose Mourinho comes up with a formation when he can play two strikers. But either way, Tottenham have to make sure that they address this problem of over-reliance on one single player. Um, Liverpool have had a lot of games recently, but that always happens with them, that what they do is is they, they get to the FA Cup, they rest loads of players, they either go out of it in this round or the next round, and then they have like loads of time free in, in February and March. But the players that um, played in the Sheffield United game on the 2nd of January won't really have done much until kick-off on Saturday night. They will be fresh, they will be ready to go. Can you see this relentless march towards the title continuing, David? Yeah, I can. I think that, um, <clears throat> you know, I think he's managed his squad brilliantly which I think he's able to do because I think he's concentrating well his focus was the Club World Cup obviously they got that in the bag 
obviously now the league, I think the other competitions, you know, are on the periphery, really. They're not of that much importance, so not that much relevance. We saw that in the team selected against Villa. Um, however, um, as Sheffield United saw and how Leicester saw, two really good Premier League teams up right up at the top of the division and Liverpool made them look distinctly average and that's because of how good Liverpool are playing at the minute. I mean, they were absolutely awesome at the King Power um, when you came away and looked at it and also when we were in the tunnel, Sam, you and I were there and the players walked past you. You know, they are towering physical athletes at the absolute peak I of mean, the game. I mean, we're quite impish. We're quite small between the two of us. I think we're just about pushing five foot seven. But, uh, you know, ultimately, these were giants of, yep. of young men. I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but I thought it was quite fascinating over the course of the Christmas period that uh, Manchester City seemed to soften up opponents for uh, Liverpool, didn't they? They played Sheffield United the game before. They played Leicester the game before. Look, it wouldn't have made any difference anyway, but it's just a quirk of the schedule, I think. I think it probably should be should be outlawed, shouldn't it, playing those two teams back-to-back. I don't think the fixture computer did anyone any favours in that uh, regard. Um, the added benefit of playing the kids, which Liverpool have done during those cup competitions at the early part of December and in the early part of January, is when they play as well as they did in the second half against Everton, you, you start to think, oh, actually, hold on a second, we can use some of these players. So if you do get yourself into a situation where you do get injuries or you're light in a certain area, you can start considering... Jones, Elliot, Williams, who have been in squads already. Who would you integrate further into the squad, do you think, having watched them last weekend? I don't think any of those players will get anywhere near the Liverpool first team, to be honest. I think there's some, some great talent in there. Curtis Jones was fantastic. We know about Harvey Elliott. He was fantastic in the in the Carabao Cup game against Villa, despite the scoreline, played well against Everton too. I honestly don't think we see any of those players. I think the management of this period of the season from Liverpool has been spectacular. You know, you've got players, as, as David mentioned earlier from Leicester and Didi on the floor on his haunches, shattered. You know, you look at some of those games that were played pre-FA Cup third round, players were exhausted. Uh, some of the game quality was, was very, very low, but Liverpool looked very, very fresh. I don't think we see these players playing until Liverpool win the league, which going by the way it is, probably about March 1st, and we might start seeing Nico Williams and a, a few of these guys. They were certainly very good, but from, from my perspective, David, I don't think any of them get near the Liverpool first team because they don't need to because everyone's so well rested yeah that's right and, and obviously that that starting 11 12 13 14 players that Klopp's got his disposal are, are pretty much nailed in I mean even Origi struggles for, for game time at this moment so I think the likes of Williams whether it's Harvey Elliott you know I, I think they've got their time but it's not quite now Curtis Jones what a goal he scored oh. but you only have to look at I think you know Liverpool as a football club Alexander Arnold like the talent that obviously they want to come through from the academy just to link the, the fans with the club is so important and um, I'm sure Jurgen Klopp look I know Neil Critchley, the under-23 manager, was saying, you know, Klopp's brilliant. He always gives him an opportunity. He'll give him an opportunity in the right match, not necessarily in a, a high-pressure Premier League game, but there's no doubt in time, those boys, if they're good enough, they'll get their chance. Is there any chance that Tottenham can be the first team this season to beat Liverpool? Not with that defence. The defence has been shocking. You mentioned a couple of the games you've seen. I saw them at Norwich, where that high ball that looped to Temu Puki. That, that totally caught out the back two. No one knew where, where the ball was in the air. Nobody watched the runner. No one put a tackle in. And also, they lost Hugo Lloris. They brought in Gazanija, who is a decent number two. But it's always the same with number twos, isn't it? They come in for a little run, for a few cup games. You think, yeah, they're okay. He's not bad. He's competent. When he gets to eight games in, nine games in, you start realising, hold on, 
they've got serious deficiencies. This is why they are a career number two. And, and, and Tottenham playing basically the whole season with their second-choice goalkeeper has been a problem. And I'm surprised in the transfer mm. window that doesn't seem to be something they're looking to address. Right, OK, that's the big game. 5.30 on Saturday night. Let's get to the Palace. Uh, Arsenal's first half performance against Leeds illustrated just how much work there is to be done by Mikel Arteta as well. Uh, better second half showing. I think that probably displays that he's got the ability to tweak and inspire. But Crystal Palace are very well organised. Their big issue, though, is that they've got a spate of injury. What what happens here? Well, what's interesting is you said that the second half performance and um, you know the players came out after and said that, that Arteta shouted at them, which is, you know, really good to know that he does have that in him. Because when he got the job, I remember, you know, discussing this on various shows. And one thing I looked at, despite, you know, say his coaching, um, you know, his depth of coaching career behind him as a number two, no real experience as number one, but he looked like he had a steely determination. And the only thing I could cling to, thinking what else he could take from Pep, barring his coaching ability, was possibly his ruthlessness. Now, Pep can be absolutely ruthless when he needs to. I've heard various stories about him, about the likes of Pochettino, and you're thinking, right, if Arteta has got that in him, and on his press conference he said, you know, I'll expect certain standards, and if they're not reached, you know, the players will know about it. And, okay, half-time, he comes in, obviously he makes his mark, you know, he says something, he gets a reaction from his team, they go out in the second half. So I think, if you're an Arsenal fan looking at that, I think you'd be pleasantly pleased, because I know, I've been at the Emirates, and I know that Uno Emery, wouldn't say anything. Wouldn't say anything at the end of the game. Would leave the players, you know, to discuss amongst themselves. Invariably, nothing was discussed. So straight away, you've got a complete contrast. You've got somebody goes in, stamps his authority, things aren't working, and he gets a reaction. So I think certainly, irrespective of moving forward, but at least you know he's, he has got some of that ruthlessness in him, which I think Arsenal players certainly need. Which is a major positive, but one of the questions will be, Tom, well, in which case, if he could change it at half-time and, 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 and instigate a complete change of attitude in the second 45, why on earth didn't he manage to get that out of them right from the very off? I think the issue is not that the players aren't buying into Arteta. I think David's illustrated it very well that they have, uh, and some of the players have come out and said, you know, we, we saw the interview with Socrates and David Luiz after the victory over Manchester United, mm. covertly criticising that the former manager, Unai Emery. I think the issue now, and has been for a long time with Arsenal, recruitment and the players. You look at the, the, the way they are Absolutely. playing, the positions they are playing. Look, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, he is a player... That is kept that keeps getting played out on that left wing. He has so many deficiencies for a man who's a left winger. If you take away the the, the incredible stratospheric goal ratio that he has, put him on the left wing, take away the goals, and you think he doesn't come deep, he doesn't necessarily switch sides, doesn't cross very much, not many assists, and he only looks good when he comes into the centre. When Lacazette gets subbed around 75 minutes, he looks a threat on the break. They have issues in every single position. So they look motivated. They're obviously buying into him. I think they'll stumble to maybe sick this season. They'll stumble to a result against Crystal Palace this weekend, which won't be easy. I think this will be a turgid game, by the way. I think it's two teams that are that are going to be very well organised in the sense they're listening to their manager but where's the creativity and spark I don't really see it Uh, and I think they'll end up sixth this year Arsenal and then the massive recruitment drive must happen because that is their big problem showing the games we've seen so far this season and shown all season well I think 
a couple of things I'll take issue with with Tom. I think that Nicolas Pepe, for all his faults, oh, no. I thought I thought he was really really good. He came on against Leeds. I thought he was excellent. Championship I think he's level though. That's what he yeah, is, right? Yeah, but possibly. But he carried the ball the length of the pitch and was involved with the goal. Obviously, he did score against United, which was a good finish. And look, he's a player. If he can get something out of him on that right hand side, as you saw last season, he can be a handful. But don't get me wrong, I've seen him play yeah. terribly. What I would say is Crystal Palace, you know, some of their games I think have actually been really entertaining. The Southampton one for one was brilliant. End-to-end game, loads of goal-mouth action. Look, I know they don't score bundles of goals, Palace, and I know that, you know, they'll be looking to frustrate here, but I actually think, look at the RU goal, I thought it was superb against West Ham. Yeah, but so he's I done think, that once in his career. It was no, a sensational goal that we should have seen more, by the way. I know it's a cliche, but if Lionel Messi did score that, we would have been seeing it every single day on social media. It's kind of faded into insignificance. And as a West Ham fan, I'm happy to see it. But apart from that, they need individual brilliance, Palace, to do something. And if you put three players on Zahar and you stop Ayu doing the one thing he's done all year... What else is there for them? Well, what I would say is that the goal they had they had ruled out, VAR, was really unlucky, yeah. the one for Max Meyer. The armpit. The, the, the pass back from Kelly against Southampton, you know, it's Southampton side going really, really well. So I think, you know what, this is going to be a very difficult game because I think Palace are, are in a really good run of form at the minute and I think they're playing some, some really good football. Some of their games, I think, have been really entertaining. Well, they are facing arguably their worst injury crisis since Roy Hodgson turned up in 2017, particularly in defence. They've got Christian Benteke, could be back, although he keeps being linked with a move away. Wilfred Zaha should start alongside uh, Victor Camarasa. Luka Milivojevic is suspended, though, Mm. so he's not going to be available for them, and he's been a key figure. They've actually shown that they can unlock Arsenal's defence over the last couple of years because they scored six in the last three meetings with them. That defence is iffy. That Arsenal defence is iffy. Leeds should have had a couple on Monday night before half-time. So there are going to be opportunities for Crystal Palace to get on the score sheet here, I think. I mean, and I actually disagree with, with Tom. I think this could be quite an entertaining game, actually. We shall see. Right, let's get to Bramall Lane, where the old stories will come up again and again and again. But I don't think there'll be many goals in this one. Here's Crookie. David Moyes will be aiming to continue his West Ham honeymoon at Bramall Lane. The trip to the Steel City is surely the toughest test Moyes has faced since returning to London Stadium. The not-so-happy Hammers won only two of Manuel Pellegrini's final 14 matches in charge and have a 100% record under Moyes and are yet to concede a goal. That record will come under fierce scrutiny against a United side sitting pretty in eighth in the Premier League table who've let in fewer goals than any team barring Liverpool and Manchester City. Matching the Blades' work rate is the key, according to West Ham midfielder Robert Snodgrass, something that was sadly lacking in the final weeks of Pellegrini's ill-disciplined reign. This might just be a good time to face Chris Wilder's men, though, with United having failed to win any of their last three matches. It should be an intriguing contest under the lights in Yorkshire. Having lost their last two home Premier League games to Bournemouth and Southampton, Chelsea are hoping to avoid a third league defeat in a row for the first time since November 1993 when Glenn Hoddle was in charge. Oh, help me out here. What is going on with Chelsea? Why on earth are they so good in these big games against these big teams? They beat Arsenal. What was a fantastic, fantastic climax to the match. They were brilliant away at Spurs. But, you know, Southampton, Bournemouth... 
even games earlier in the season which they should have won Sheffield United they were leading in that game and then gave it away I mean why are they so inconsistent at home um, wow what a big question um, I think that much like Manchester United they are a side packed with upper mid-table players and upper mid-table players tend to do great in the big games and struggle against the lesser teams and I would say the biggest issue with Chelsea is you look at the creative talents Christian Pulisic had a nice little run around the time he got the Burnley hat-trick, but all season, the consistency has not been there. Mason Mount has had a few fitness issues, but he's more of a get-on-the-end-of-things-than-set-somebody-up sort of player. You're relying on a Willian who, you know, he's still very talented and always has been very talented, but has kind of been fading away from Chelsea over a two- or three-year period. I think the issue is the squad, understandably with a lack of movement to the squad in recent times because of the transfer ban, has looked tired. It looks devoid of ideas. And this is why I'm quite surprised that with the transfer window being open and the Wilfred Zahar link always coming up in the paper and disappearing, same as Jaden Sancho, look, Wilfred Zahar, to me, seems like the player that Chelsea need. What they have is a lot of creative talents that do their job superbly well. They're, they're disciplined. They've learned how to be creative. What Wilfred Zahar is, is a maverick talent who'll do something you can't train. And when I watch Chelsea, I think going forward against lesser teams, it's the mavericks that win you the game. And right now, they're looking at Pulisic, who, for all intents and purposes, purposes is a square I agree with some of that um I think actually and you mentioned William I think this is a key point the older talents in the team actually haven't been as consistent or as impressive as maybe we thought they might be we've Chelsea have relied almost on the youngsters to flourish this season rather than being sort of auxiliary squad members that have been helped out by more senior players. You look at the defence, the best defender is Tomori. Mm. You know, even Zuma has played better than Rudiger. Rudiger's come back in and everyone thought, well, don't worry, he'll be fine. Oh, Rudiger comes back in and that'll be it. They'll, they'll, they'll sort their, their defence out. That didn't happen. Actually, Rudiger made it more shaky. So I, I, I sort of think that Chelsea, what Chelsea really need is some sort of injection of experience, a leader on the pitch. They don't have that sort of character who stands and says, right, do this, do that, get over here, you cover here and inspires people and is someone for the young players to look up to. There's too much weight, actually, on the shoulders of those those younger players. You know, last week, we were talking about Callum Hudson-Odoi. He scored in the game against Nottingham Forest. But ultimately, this time last year, we're talking about a massive move for him to go to Bayern Munich because he's going to be like basically England's Kylian Mbappe. Mm. A year on, we haven't really seen that. I know he's had injury issues and he's been out for six months. But ultimately, he's been back in the team now since the end of September, in and out. He hasn't exactly pulled up any trees, has he? I think Chelsea need to spend money, but spending it in the right way is going to be difficult. Because as you say, the Zaha link has been there for years. Everybody thinks that, well, everyone thought it was a done deal for this January if Chelsea got off the transfer ban. It hasn't really worked out like that. Actually, what I think they'll end up doing is signing Nathan Ake from Bournemouth for 35 million quid. Well, I think that would be a good signing if they did. What I would say is if I look at where they've struggled or why they haven't got consistency, I mean, he's had to balance Champions League football, which is one thing. He's had to balance integration of an awful lot of players. So players that were playing in the Championship last season, players that have come up through the academy that they're now integrating. And I think that you just lose a bit of consistency. I know those young players have been superb, don't get me wrong, but you know Mason Mount, you could say, has had a little dip, which invariably happens. Tammy Abraham had a little spell out the team when he was struggling. That's nothing to do with being a young player, is it? I mean, at the end of the day, you're not more or less inconsistent because you are young, are you? I mean, you either you either go through periods of form. So like you, you would have gone through periods of form when you were 27, up and down, when you were 17, similar thing 
sort of happened. I mean, I don't think it was any, you were any more consistent, inconsistent from one year to the next, were well, you? Well, it depends. I'd have to really go back and have a, and have a look. But I know that when obviously you're a little bit older, you're a bit more experienced. You might not one, you might not worry too much about if you're going through a particular spell. You you probably don't get as tired. You certainly don't get as tired as when you're younger. I mean, a lot of these players are battling with playing Premier League football for for the first time, and that's fine. The likes of Reese James seem to be able to cope with it superbly. I think his issue is as well. Another one is he's obviously doesn't really have a left back that he trusts. Mm. He doesn't have Emerson. He, he doesn't no, really rate him. Issue. He's got Asper. Playing off the wrong side, so I guess if he's going to look anywhere, he might be looking at a left back area. I think he does have those players that can have an impact. I mean, Jorginho is a leader on that pitch. You know, the, his problem is that Aspilicueta is a leader, he is. but he's got Reese James, who I think he obviously would rather have in that right back. Are they slot. the right personalities, but not necessarily the right players? Is that what the issue is? Possibly, yeah. Yeah. The reverse fixture between these two ended 4-2, but both those Burnley goals came right at the end of the game, put a bit of a gloss on it. Um, I don't know whether it will be like that this week because Burnley have started to stop conceding goals. I think they've collected one point in 10 Premier League games against teams currently in the top half of the division. That was against Wolves back in August. Mm. Um, They're only four points off the bottom three, Burnley. They've lost three in the bounce. Uh, and have got Leicester, Manchester United and Arsenal straight after this Chelsea game. Are they going to be okay? That's a really good point because really bad Christmas for them. Um, They've got a new sort of structure at the top. Mike Rigg, um, who's in charge of transfers, a a little bit like Crystal Palace in terms of Dougie Friedman. You know, what does Roy want and what do the people at the top want? What What does Dougie want? They don't do transfers, Well, exactly. Well, they'll certainly need to. Well, this is the point. You go back to then Sean Dyche, obviously he's now got Mike Rigg there. So what do they need? They certainly need to strengthen. I think they could be in a a little bit of trouble here because their depth is, there's nothing. I mean, in the cup, Jack Cork had to play said no one else really um, in the middle of the park. So, Danny Drinkwater obviously didn't didn't work out. Ironically, in the local paper, they did have a, a shot of him drinking water. Oh, which is, <laughs> It's the money shot. It's, it's the, the money shot. Um, so Can I, we verify it was water, though? Maybe that's why it wasn't water. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Needs a gin, yeah. sitting there well, doing one, of the, one of the big issues is that Danny Drinkwater hasn't stuck to water, and <laughs> yeah. as a result, he's been treading water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think uh, Burnley are in a little bit of trouble, and they, they, I think they need some help in January. Um, Chelsea have lost just one of their last 11 Premier League games against Burnley. Um, that was a two, uh, 3-2 defeat at Stamford Bridge on the opening day of the 2017-18 season. So Burnley have won there before. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. 
With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Let's get to Old Trafford and see if Phil Jones has woken up yet. Taylor on the far side, caught by Daniel James. And James goes early to Martial, and surely this is 1-0. It is 1-0 to Manchester United. Anthony Martial with the goal. Pressing work from Daniel James, pays off. Back central to Vrancic. Just wants to try and create a, a space for a shot. Norwich still have it. Play a lovely little one-two in the penalty area. Peels for handball. Cantwell's there. Cantwell scores. And now United can break in search of a second. And Daniel James will play in Rashford. And Marcus Rashford is through for 2-0. Rashford, he's away from the goalkeeper. He's fallen over, but he's still found a way to turn it home. Oh dear, Manchester United torn to shreds against Manchester City on Tuesday night. I was at Old Trafford, wow. Uh, I think we can guarantee that Nemanja Matic is going to start this game. Um, one man who isn't is Harry Maguire, who is joining Popper on the operation table, uh, although probably with less in Instagram stories. Uh, do United accelerate their next round of expenditure in this January transfer window, uh, David? Because uh, that injury to Maguire seems to be uh, quite a significant one. Uh, look, they're always going to be in the market for another centre-back anyway, because because every time Maguire gets injured, you can't bring in Phil Jones. See Tuesday for details. Um, is this where you lash out another 50, 60 million quid on a decent centre-back? Well, I tell you what, what's concerning is the performance of the two centre-halves. Uh, Phil Jones, he only got a new deal less than a year ago. Um, so now if you're talking about, well, you give someone a new deal, that's like signing a new player and then he's not good enough. Um I think you've got big problems. Obviously, Lindelof was all over the place. They were completely out-thought, out-fought. They were awful against City. Now, how they respond, I mean, they have responded before United when they've suffered really poor performances, but I think it was mm. a manner. The, the manner in that in that, 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 that game was just really concerning for them. It's it been too awful, many of them. But I think the Arsenal game is more concerning than losing to Manchester City in the Cup because Manchester City's first team against a, a fairly changed Manchester United, City beat everybody, right? They outclass everybody. You, I, they were bad. I do get that. I mean, I, I, obviously, you were very savage in the commentary, Sam. Quite rightly so, you and the guys there because it, it was so bad. But it was the Arsenal game for me that was worse. Wolves? Worse than Wolves? I would, I would say it was worse than Wolves. I, I would say it was worse. It, I, I tell you what the problem is. For me, it was it was that it was so bad and that nobody had a clue on how to do something about yeah. it. Nobody reacted and it just kept coming and coming and coming. It get it got worse and worse and worse and to the point that you thought you thought, hold on a second, it's only one nil here, but it should be four already. So at this moment, this is where you make your intervention. If you're a coach, if you're a player on the pitch, you do something which says, Hold on a second, whatever happens here, this can't continue. Nobody did that. Nobody looked able to do that. And that is the biggest and most deafening concern. Well, he brought Matic on, didn't he, at half-time? That, that, that short at half-time. But it was 3-0 by then. Would you like to have seen that on 30 minutes, 25 minutes? It was that definitive Get him Absolutely. on. Absolutely. It was so obvious that that's what they needed. I walked into the press room at half-time. I sat down. I got some chips, put some salt and vinegar on them, snuggled up next to Matt Critchley from Being Sports. And I said to him, I, I don't understand why he hasn't brought Matic onto the field of play. 
because I, I, it was so obvious that that was the area. I mean, it was obvious when I got the team sheet. I did a prediction for a betting company, and I thought, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Because as soon as I saw Fred and Pereira playing together in the heart of midfield, and that Manchester City weren't playing with a striker, I thought, they're going to get run ragged in that area of the pitch. Just reading Matt Critchley's tweets from uh, midweek. At half-time, he's tweeted, security, please, somebody call security. Now we know why. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he uh, he sent me a text saying, you should do this for a living. I said, I get one right every year. <laughs> um, they left Martial out in midweek as well. Why would you do that? Well, I think, look, if you look at what Pep did, he left Jesus Aguero. He left them out. I mean, he's trying to manage his squad. Um, and I guess the beauty of City's squad is that he's got the players in the middle of the park to not really play a centre-forward. Um, whereas you look at United, and unless... You know, the likes of Rashford start and Martial start, they're really struggling. So I think Greenwood's great coming off the bench as an impact player, but um, they're up against a Norwich side here who have actually been playing really, really well. And I think they'll fancy their chances. Mm. They might be able to get something there. I mean, the way they move the ball in the middle of the park, Buendia, Campwell, I don't know if Pukki's going to be fit, but obviously, you know, (laughs) I think they're going to cause United, with their movement, all sorts of trouble. They still, I think, played really well in the last few games. So they're going to cause United problems. They're a good side in the sense that I think Daniel Farker is a good coach. He has shown that. He's got players behind him. But this comes down to a conversation we could have had the very first week of the season. We did have in the very first week of the season. This is not a Premier League squad, period. That is the issue with Norwich City. It isn't work rate. It's not organisation. It's not coaching. It's Delia, who didn't sell enough mince pies over Christmas in order to bring some funds to the club to buy some players. They are four players short. Two centre-halves, definitely. Two centre-midfielders, definitely. They need to come in this January or Norwich City are going to be in the Championship next year. And I would say Tim Krul as well. He well, can Norwich save City a penalty, he can't save anything else. Yeah, but th- we're not disputing that. But they've still played well and arguably. When was the last time they were smashed? Looking back over their results, they've lost by the odd goal in a large majority of their games. And I think that's really good for a team that had six players who played Premier League football who were taking players that no one else had even heard of. So to even be This is the Premier there, League though This is yeah, not a but, pat on the back You get no, a medal but, for, for turning uh, up It is because uh, they haven't on. spent Half a but, billion quid all, in a few years Yes they played well And I think they're great to watch But at the end of the day The objective when you start the season Is to win the league To get into the European places To finish higher than you ever have before Or if you're Norwich City Aston Villa uh, Who have just come up from the uh, the Championship To stay in the division Norwich are not going to stay in the division. The objectives are not going to be achieved, are they? No, but how do you know that was the objectives objectives of that football club? Because last time they were promoted... So so what was the the objective? If If that wasn't the objective, what was the objective? I think the objectives of that football club is they got promoted and they were just going to do their damnedest in that division they overspent so they're not going to do the same again and they'll just compete as best they can with what they've got look and a lot of those players but hold will on, probably be but si- they, hang on they, a lot of those players might move on to stay in the league well of course they do it's it's consummate to whatever no, you don't. spend they just have to play a, a more conservative a conservative style of football you can tweak that can't you no, I don't think they can tweak they, they it they could have David Wagner their way to, to safety couldn't they do you think? Huddersfield's I first year I don't think so I don't think, I'm not sure Farker could teach it but this squad is just as bad as that Huddersfield squad which was dreadful and they somehow by hook or by crook stayed up in the league they beat Man United once they had their big day out and that awful dreadful atrocious team stayed up for another year I think year. you're being very you've got, they've got two really good 
terrifically talented young fullbacks. I think Godfrey's only going to get better. I think their midfield at Campwell yeah. and Buendia have shown Vranchi, you know, Steeperman, they've got really good players. Look, they've had an awful lot of injuries. I'm yeah. not here banging the drum for Norwich, but, you know, you're talking about competing against sides who have spent, you know, hundreds. And So I think we've got to cut Norwich a little bit of slack here. Look, I am a Norwich fan of the way that they, they operate, but ultimately... The, the objective has got to be to stay in the league and they're not going to do that. Two teams also want to stay in the league are Bournemouth and Watford. Here's Alex Crook. On the face of it, this is hardly one of the Premier League's feistiest fixtures. In fact, Watford and Bournemouth must be two of the more likeable clubs in the division. Unless they're playing each other, that is. Well, it certainly can't be classed as a local derby since being promoted from the Championship side-by-side side in 2015, a somewhat bizarre hatred has developed. The rivalry stems from some debatable refereeing decisions, which Hornets fans believe robbed their side of the chance to win the title. Watford fans also claim Eddie Howe's men get preferential treatment from us in the media, with Bournemouth's rags-to-riches story well told, while Watford's own flirtations with financial meltdown, they say, go under the radar. Whatever the reasons for the animosity, this has become a massive game in its own right, with improving Watford only one point and one place below the free-falling cherries how the travelling hordes from Hertfordshire would love to pile more misery on Howe and his team. OK, Andrew Butler has uh, come into the programme and uh, we've just had uh, edited out a whole section of uh, pronunciation drama in which David Connolly has spent a good two or three minutes correcting my pronunciation of Yuri Tielemans um, because apparently I got it wrong last night in the commentary. I said Tielemans, uh, which is OK, this is fine. I mean, you know, we'll teach you Moise Keane and Lucas Mora and you'll teach me Yuri Tielemans. It's Tielemans, not Tielemans. Sam... A um, a commentator I know said, um, "Tell Sam." Oh God, here we go. Here we go. Yep. Subtly remind Sam it's Tielemans, not Tielemun. Oh, very subtle. Mis- <laughs> <laughs> Misconception: You drop the S as he's Flemish, not French. Tielemans. I just I'm here to just to make everyone better. Uh, so it's good. It's, it's, it's that sounds like a good deal. Each other out here. Yep, that's good. Brilliant. Yeah, it's a good deal. Well done. Uh, helping us navigate the choppy waters of the January transfer window in Dream Team is Andrew Butler, who's here. Hello. Hello, Sam. Have I pronounced that right? Yeah, just about. Baudelaire. Yeah, just about. Okay. Baudelaire used to be. It would have been. There's a French, French yeah. origins. But, uh, There's a certain je ne sais quoi about it. Yeah, indeed. Um, this is either a really difficult period for Dream Team players or for the cannier, more opportunistic player, fertile ground. How do you manage new signings and speculation at this period of the year? Well, there's not really been a great deal of, uh, of movement so far in the window. I, I know later on in Danny the month there, there might be a bit more. Um, but the, the, the advice usually is um, don't go anywhere near people who might be moving or have just moved. Their prices are unlikely to change. You don't want to be left basically at the, the end of the month with no transfers left, having had to bring someone in who's the subject of speculation only for them to leave and then you have to transfer them out again. So uh, also if they're looking to leave, quite often these players might get dropped from match day squads as well. So their prices are unlikely to change. They might not score any points. So um, it's best just to, to leave them, um, get them bedded in if they're coming mm. into the Premier League for a couple of couple of weeks and, uh, and then pick them up then. And so... Save maybe some of your free transfers that you've got for when the window closes, because usually on deadline day, there's one or two big moves or in the last week, there's, there's big moves. 
Yeah, completely. And and they're the ones that probably get everyone most excited. They're, they're, they're usually the marquee signings or or the panic buyers as well. But also um, that kind of thing happens in Dream Team as well. A lot of panic buying towards the end of the month. You, <laughs> you know, a, a new player comes into the Premier League. You go, oh yeah, brilliant. He's been fantastic um, in, in Serie A or, or La, uh, La Liga. Um, and hasn't proven himself at all in the Premier League at all. And then uh, people just go mad and, and sign those sort of players. And then you suddenly have your Radamel Falcao's <laughs> and uh, Torres's, etc. Higuain's. Yeah. Um, Aston Villa against Manchester City then is one of the games that you're looking at for us this week. 62 central midfielders have amassed over a thousand minutes in the Premier League this season, uh, with Grealish being top for dribbles attempted per 90 minutes. He's ahead of Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, James Madison and Matteo Kovacic, which captures his tendency to engage with opponents but also shows that uh, yeah he's a pretty confident lad can he do anything against Manchester City I think he can and he's been brilliant actually on dream team he's the top uh, sixth top scoring midfielder in the game his price as well has been one that hasn't really moved a, a great deal he's up at 3.9 million now but that's the same price range as uh, Nicolas Pepe um, who's got 87 points Deli Ali's got 84 points David Silva's got 56 points these are all similar sort of price range but Jack Grealish has got 109 Whoa. points so hold on a second just scale that back because Tom <laughs> Rennie has fallen to the floor his jaw is literally hanging off nope. Nicolas Pepe's got what? he's got 87 points yeah he's great on dream team rubbish in real life you know <laughs> what, what is it about? just because you're good in dream team you know it doesn't always have the best players in it someone will win this year and not have Kevin De Bruyne in their team who's the best player in the league Kevin De Bruyne Nicolas Pepe is a championship player that is a fact that's and the, I refuse uh, to back down from it that's the voice of Tom Rennie who doesn't rate Nicolas Pepe um, I was at the Arsenal Leeds game earlier in the week against the championship team against the championship team who's managed by Marcelo Bielsa soon to be a Premier League who team who signed Nicolas Pepe for Lille so, and are you saying that, that every- Bielsa doesn't know as much as you, Tom? I'm saying the madman Marcelo Bielsa has bought many <laughs> average players as well as good players over the years, and I would say nobody knows as much as me about Nicolas Pepe because he is rubbish. OK. Um, Newcastle have got players returning from injury. They take on Wolves this weekend. It's the other game you're looking at for us. After last week's second-half switch-off, they need players coming back from injury as well. Uh, it's good timing. Richie is back. Carroll's OK. Dummett and Willems are coming back in. But they need goals, and they're not going to come from Joe Ellington. And Dwight Gale, well, he's, he's out of here, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, it's really tricky to see where any points are coming for for, for Newcastle. I don't really give them a great deal of hope as well away at Wolves um, uh, this weekend. Like you say, uh, the amount of injuries they've got. Shelby's their top scorer, he's out. Uh, Shares their third top scorer, he's out. Kieran Clark is their fifth top scorer, he's out. So Maxman's sixth top scorer, he's out. You know, the list kind of goes on and on. So um, it's tricky to see to see where points might come from. I might do a little reverse, uh, a little switcheroo for 2020 mm-hmm. and suggest Miguel Ooh. Almiron. <laughs> <laughs> Miggy, Miggy, Miggy who scored actually in that game against Rochdale was at Scotland and saw him score I mean it, it, it was a well taken goal but um, you know, it, it is only his second goal in a Newcastle jersey since the 1st of February 2019 when he eventually joined uh, the club uh, good luck thank you very much Butler thank you uh, we Sam. will see you soon um, let's get to our final game for Alex Crook to look at Carlo Angelotti is usually the coolest of cool cats but apparently flew into a rage after Everton were dumped out of the FA Cup by Liverpool's reserves. 
The veteran Italian will be expecting a reaction from his Merseyside flops as they return to Premier League action. It will be fascinating to see what changes Angelotti opts to make for the out-of-sorts Gilfie Sigurdsson, in particular battling to keep his place in the starting lineup. Brighton, well, they're in an almost identical position in the table to this time last season under Chris Hewton. But there's no doubt they're much more pleasing on the eye since Graham Potter took charge. Striker Neil Mope will be aiming to impress after being linked with the surprise move to Napoli this week. And the Seagulls have a good record against the so-called bigger clubs, having beaten Arsenal and Tottenham and recently held Chelsea to a draw. If Everton produce the same type of performance they did in the second half at Anfield, there could be more teacups flying around the home dressing room. Flying Foxes flummoxed in the Carabao Cup by a well-drilled Villa, but they will be eager to have another go at the Saints' defence with Vardy back in business. Look, it's not going to be 9-0 again, but how crucial is the absence of Wilfred Ndidi? David Connolly. Um, Well, look, they've got the players to cover. I think certainly uh, he's a blow, but you look at Chowdhury, Andrew Chowdhury has been amazing for them not just the other night but just in general he finally came up with a goal against Newcastle which was a great finish so yeah look they'll they'll miss Ndidi and they're coming up against the Southampton side in in you know really confident form at the minute um they've been absolutely superb and this will be a much closer affair than the last game um you know Southampton worked their absolute socks off they really did uh, against against Tottenham you know they made something like 80 interceptions when their season average was about 55 when you looked at everything they worked so hard this will be a game against two teams that put an awful lot of endeavor into it they've got two center forwards who play a similar way right on the shoulder always looking to get in behind and I think it's going to be a really fascinating game the club is not in a great state behind the scenes but on the pitch at least have you been impressed by the way that Southampton have reacted to that drubbing against Leicester City absolutely I mean the international break was pivotal for them um, you know it was almost as if they, they ripped everything up they'd done differently they were trying little formation tweaks he went back to what he knew Ralph um, stuck with it you know they were excellent at the Emirates and from then they just carried on and had a couple of blips along the way but he's got so much energy into the team this 4-2-2-2 you can really see it progressing now Redmond sort of you know looks a little bit better playing up through the middle at times Danny Ings always gives you an opportunity and as I said they've been they've been really really impressive I've got to say yeah uh, Tom, psychologically, it must play a part, though. When you're going into this game, you're off to the King Power Stadium, and you're thinking, "The last time we met these lads, we we got hammered nine nil." Do you uh, do you think that Southampton are the, are the type of characters, and they are a bit fragile? Let's be honest about it. Uh, that will be sitting there thinking, "We want revenge, and we're going to go to do something about it," or they're going to be a little bit uh, full of trepidation walking into the KP. I mean, as the Klingons always said, "Revenge is a dish best served cold." Um, we always think of the Klingons when we think of Southampton. Um, um, and you can, I can also do that in Klingon. Is, is kind of how it, some of it goes. Um, I think that they will want revenge. They'll desperately want revenge. I think, look, Southampton have done the basics. What do you do when you're in trouble? What do all teams do when they're in trouble? They go 4-4-2. Everyone gets the job they had when they were a child in their youth team. And they do it well. And that is what Southampton have done over the ensuing 10, 12 games since that happened, however many it's been. And they've done it very, very well. just hired Sam Allardyce. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's the other option. The other option maybe is he's is wearing a, a Haas and Hootle suit in a very Star Trek episode kind of way. Those tight trousers. Yeah, maybe not actually, yeah, yeah. to be fair. It would be a bigger suit, wouldn't it, than a smaller suit. Anyway, I think they I, have... They, I heard they... you commentating on that, actually, about the fact that they had... Uh, that Ralph Haas and Hootle had this particular penchant for almost spray-on grey leggings. Yeah. Yes, they are very, very tight. <laughs> 
They're like pregnancy leggings, aren't they? <laughs> yes, they're they're like maternity work. jeans. What are they called? Jeggings. Jeggings. Is that you talking from experience? I have recently been with my wife to a soon-to-be-defunct mother care to buy a uh-huh. whole selection of uh, maternity jeggings, and she's very happy in them. And if she's happy, I'm happy. Okay, it's time for the commentator's curse. Players will put the mockers on this week by giving a statistical reason as to why they will do well in this round of matches. Tom, what you've got for us? I am going to be positive in my commentator's curse this week and try and put Ooh. the anti-mockers. Is that a word? Is that a phrase people are using? The kids anti-mockers. Anti-mockers. I'm going to go with it. Um, yeah, it's I'm, trending on Twitter. I'm sure it is. Just Locked like by nine nil, but it's trending. <laughs> yeah, um, I am going to go with a man that I love. I think he's he works so hard, and I'm not usually one for for sympathy and usually one for empathy. But with David McGoldrick of Sheffield United, I have it. This weekend, going into the game on Friday, he's had 35 shots this season without scoring in the Premier League. That is more than any other player. Last season, the record was Harvey Barnes. 38 efforts on goal it took for him to score a goal in 18-19 when he came back to Leicester. And so, I think David McGoldrick is going to score this weekend with his first shot against West Ham on Friday. So he'll break the record of Harvey Barnes from last year and he won't be the running joke of the season that he has been so far. Hopefully West Ham they'll win 2-1. David? Well, I'm going to go for an equally unprolific, if that's a word, score. We're just making up words now on the show. <laughs> yes, is that We're one? doing what we yeah. want. Can that you trend? mean crap? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm going for Connor Wickham of Crystal Palace, who has actually been involved in... <laughs> he has been involved in... Two goals in only 60 minutes of wow. play. Incredible. One goal, oh. one assist. And his first was obviously uh, the other day against uh, against Norwich, which yeah. was disallowed. Then obviously VAR intervened and, and um, I'm sure to his delight overturned the original decision. Um, that was his first goal since November 2016. So... What's that? Three and a bit years. Wow. <laughs> so, but, um, so I'm predicting... And we thought Ali Rater Jahanbach had been waiting a long time. <laughs> yes, goodness me. Didn't so, cry though, did he? Yeah. Kept um, his tears in his eyes like a real man. Yeah, like a bus. I think this is going to be another goal that's come, come along against Arsenal for Connor Wickham. Okay, uh, well, I'm turning my uh, attention to a spurned striker. There's nothing more volatile than a striker who's been spurned. Anthony Martial was uh, left spewing in the stands in midweek as Manchester United were humbled by Manchester City. Brought on with five minutes to go. His team were already 3-1 down. This week they take on Norwich City, uh, ripe for the picking. And I think he'll be desperate to prove that he should be leading the line for Manchester United in every game, come what may. And if he scores, United will win. And they need to win. Because... After all, Manchester United are unbeaten in the nine games in which Anthony Martial has scored this season across all competitions, winning eight of them and drawing once. You see, United win when Anthony scores. That is the Martial law. Yeah, you've been waiting for that. How long you? did that take? That killer line? It was a long walk for that joke, but I'm glad we got there. There was water in the well. <laughs> Right, game day dominates Saturday football on the app and on the radio and around the world on Premier League Live. We've got three games for you back-to-back across the TalkSport network, kicking off with Palace Arsenal, then Chelsea Burnley and finishing with Tottenham against Liverpool. Uh, Thanks to Tom and to David. Thanks for listening. And whatever your team, good luck this weekend. That was a game day Premier League preview show, a TalkSport exclusive podcast.
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.